0: Hey, Maggie, welcome to the Bloomex Podcast. Glad to have you on.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Perfect. So we, we touched base uh, a, a week back um, when uh, all this is still still new, and we're still dealing with, the, with the, uh, the prospect of being under lockdown and quarantine, what that means for us. Um, one of the things I appreciated was uh, talking to you uh, about the project you launched pretty recently and how you guys have shifted it, focus to uh, further help people who are um, I guess under lockdown and, and, and need uh, and, and of, of medical—I don't, I don't know—medical, if it's medical, at least like healthcare um, uh, need of healthcare. Actually, so let's let's a start a little about you and your background, and we'll dig more deeper to that. Um, Maggie, go ahead. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So again, thanks for having me. Um, I'm a, I'm a physiotherapist by training, yeah. and uh, I did kind of the typical physio journey when I graduated. Ten years ago, more than ten years ago now, and worked in private ortho practices, which is like the private clinics where you might go in if you had a sore shoulder or back and After about five years, I started my own private practice so opened my own business and uh, started learning how to run a business. but in this process five and a half years ago I unknowingly started a second business. What I thought was starting as a side project, I, it quickly turned into actually my full-time job, which is in Bodia, And we initially uh, started building it to better help my patients understand their role in rehab. So have you ever seen a physio or a chiro or a massage therapist?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, my wife, when we were dating, used to work in one. So I used to get, uh, stuck in a few uh, chiropractor appointments. And- massage therapy appointments, um, they're great. And then I got addicted to them. You know, I've got to massage like, massages all the time now, but the actual therapy side of it, it's, uh, it's really good. I used to suffer from like a lower, like, lower back, used to give me a lot of pain, uh, Fixed it now. But during the time I was going to Cairo, it was amazing, right? To have that kind of relief given to you.
1: Yep. And so when we typically see a practitioner, they might give you some instructions on what you should do, like your homework.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And the, the standard of practice is paper handouts or verbal, like just tell you and send you on your way and hope that mm-hmm. you remember all the instructions that we gave,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which isn't really, it doesn't really align with the digital age that we live in. So what I initially set out to do was build a way to better communicate with my patients and empower them between their sessions so that they would understand their role, like the exercises and some pieces of education, rather than just Googling things. Because we all know if you Google a healthcare condition, three clicks and you have cancer. And it's confusing about which information you should be looking at. That information should really come from the healthcare provider, whether it's a physio or chiro, massage therapist, or osteopath, kinesiologist. And uh, so we built a web and mobile app. Where the practitioner could easily prescribe videos of the exercises and education that the patient should be uh, watching and following between their sessions to ultimately mm-hmm. improve their outcomes
0: cool, so what kind of videos are these like these are exercise people do at home or are they like, like you know posture control, like stretches
1: yeah, all of the above yeah. yeah. it 's based on what the patient needs, so we have a library of Thousands of exercises in education at this point, and the practitioner basically puts together a program that would then show up in the patient's profile. They can track their progress, they can track their symptom levels, their goals, and what we practitioners call our outcome measures. So, how do we objectively measure if somebody's getting better, not just the subjective report? Like, okay. uh, just saying that you're getting better, we also like to measure whether, like, how, what that means. Uh, So that's what we started with. That was five and a half years ago. And of course, we've evolved over time. We grew from, you know, having only my sister and my mom being our users to (laughs) (laughs) we're now a community of 20,000 practitioners uh, using Badia. And what you alluded to earlier was the change that we made at the beginning of the pandemic when, of course, all businesses had to shut down or all non-essential businesses, and that includes all um, medical clinics that aren't providing essential services and uh, that's quite stressful. I had to close my clinic. I still have my my clinic. I had to close uh-huh. those doors and, you know, we might have to close physical doors, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we can't keep the virtual lights on. So what we added to Embodia is a way for physiotherapists and rehab professionals to connect with their patients virtually and to run virtual consults and treatments.
0: No, I mean, that's that's so essential, right? Like we look at essential workers um, in the healthcare industry right now, as the primary care f- physicians who are on the front lines helping people um, deal with the uh, symptoms of COVID as well as other illnesses. But behind this, behind this, it seems, there's a lot of allied health professionals, in the mental health side, counselors, and like yourself, ph- chiropractors, physiotherapists, who are helping people with everyday pain and ailments that um, might not be as as, as like, um, I guess- Life-threatening? Brutal, life-threatening, there, there you go. Life-threatening, but still affects quality of life. Uh, and it's important that we have to service them and, and, and help them maintain that quality of life much better. So um, let, let's start a little bit about that. Like, How effective are these at home treatments? Like, Are they supposed to be in, paired together with, uh, with, with chiropractor treatments? Um, is it just being hacked together? Like, using that side to at least, at least alleviate symptoms? How effective are they? Like, what have the yeah. results been?
1: So physiotherapy and chiropractic care, I mean, I'm a physiotherapist, so I'm most aware of the physiotherapy research, but we certainly okay. have community members in Embodia who are chiropractors and other rehab <laughs> professionals. But mm-hmm. from a physio standpoint, uh, the ideal treatment is this combination of one-on-one consults or maybe group consults so we're starting to see more physios running group sessions
0: yeah.
1: and uh, self-care you could term all of the exercise programs or rehab programs I think to something called self-care it's just mm-hmm. like brushing your teeth right you might see your dentist uh, six, every six months or maybe more often if you need to but every day you need to brush your teeth to care for them even though you don't have cavities and we should do the same for our bodies. So we know that we are most effective as practitioners when we combine what we're able to do one-on-one with a patient with what they can do on a day-to-day basis.
0: No, I think that's uh, an accurate assessment because a lot of people still view healthcare as something you take a pill to solve your problem for, right? It's a quick fix. But I think it's become more and more mainstream this idea of like lifestyle changes that you make to, of a holistic medicine, about how to how to construct more of your life, your diet, your your day-to-day uh, well uh, day-to-day activities to to better your well-being. Um, is there any tips or tips that you can share right now, or is it more are yeah, these more detailed things that have to be, like? Prescribed? Well,
1: <laughs> I'll <laughs> say that I can give some general advice, yeah. but for you know, This is a disclaimer that this is not health advice. If it doesn't suit okay. you or you're not sure, then please check with your healthcare provider or your physiotherapist. Yeah. Um, but what we see most in Western world, and there are definitely common injuries that we see, like common sports injuries would be one, but then we also mm-hmm. see these common uh, aches and pains because a lot of us work at a computer all day long, including myself. And mm-hmm. so this results in stiffness, it can result in aches and pains. And the basis of pain is a warning signal that's triggered based on your nervous system perceived threat, right? So if you haven't had an acute injury, like you didn't get hit by a car or roll your ankle or have a big fall, a lot of times the pain that we feel is actually based on our nervous system warning us that we need to do something in order to prevent damage. It's not that we've damaged ourselves, it's just that our body's design has an intelligent design to let Mm -hmm. us know, you know, don't sit so much or make sure to move more in the day. And if we think about what we do a lot of in the day, most of us, is we tend to sit and the world is in front of us. We bend forwards a lot, we look forwards a lot, we text and look down, put our shoes on, we get dressed and everything's forward. So if we repeat things always in the same direction, eventually your body's probably gonna give you a warning sign that like something feels stiff or tight or sore. So just keeping that in mind throughout the day, one of the best things that we can do is just move through our full range of motion in all directions. That means up and down, forwards and back, side to side. So it's a basic piece of advice, but it's actually quite valuable because most of us never look up at the ceiling, for example. We never bend backwards or we don't reach all the way behind us or reach all the way up to grab something off the top shelf. And over time, that will lead to our nervous system perceiving that we could injure ourselves and mm-hmm. that will trigger pain.
0: Okay. Okay. So are you, are you describing this kind of pain as like the nervous system enforcing it on your body to get a, a result?
1: It's like, being, like make, uh, it's there to pro- it's there to protect us. Pain is a okay. protective mechanism. Mm-hmm. Right? If you, even if you think about if you put your hand near something hot before mm-hmm. you burn yourself, you will take your hand away.
0: That's yeah, a protective
1: yeah. mechanism, so you don't burn yourself. And we have the same for our muscles and our tissues. Mm-hmm. Your body will start to give you pain before you've torn something, for example.
0: That's, that's really interesting. Like, what is, uh, I guess, a mechanism behind that? Like, you, know, you, sense, you sense pain behind, like, through these pain receptors and you flinch back, and there's a recept- like, you know, the reflex, you know, it's automated almost in your body, right? But how does that, how does pain relate to affecting change? I guess like if, if you're like an animal to so, like, where, do, you, do you have the evolutionary thought behind it? Like,
1: so pain is actually a really complex but really interesting topic. And we mm-hmm. probably know just a little bit about it even at this point. And there's people okay. that I could point to who are experts in pain research who I actually have the opportunity to work with on Embodia because they teach we also host online courses for healthcare practitioners, and some of those leading pain experts teach our courses for us. Um, but um, really, again, pain is there as a protective mechanism to help us prevent ourselves from getting injured.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, I think we got a call or something to uh, an interrupt our connection. It, it, it kind of got shifted there. I'm not sure if you noticed, but. Uh... Yeah, absolutely. The, the concept of, of, of pain, I think, uh, that's very interesting uh, from a physician standpoint. So I, I came from a neuroscience background. I did my I did a life science degree. Uh, I was supposed to go to med school and all that. That that was supposed to be my end vision, um, but got derailed when I started my first company and went into entrepreneurship. But I I, I love the the concepts I learned in biology and, and neuroscience, but how the body works, how the mind works, because it's influenced a lot of my thinking and my day to day of how I how I maintain myself because understanding yourself gives you this kind of power, right? Like it gives you the understanding, Hey, I get this pain. It's not just because of me, because this particular thing is working. It's happening. This knowledge gives you that kind of ability to, to, uh, empower yourself on well-being and improvement, self-improvement. And I think more and more people are being cognizant of, uh, of it being an active, like a proactive thing, rather than being what you do when you're in pain or rather than, you know, something, something goes wrong.
1: Exactly. How about yourself? What do
0: you, (laughs) what do you practice daily to like keep yourself uh, up to date? Mm -hmm.
1: So I just want to touch on one point that you made there about bringing it back to that idea of just taking a pill to like fix things. So Uh, we have lots of options when we have pain and our body doesn't come with a manual that says, these are the things that you should do, right? These are Mm -hmm. the things that you need to do to get out of or prevent pain. But a lot of times when we start to feel pain, people will just take a, an Advil or Tylenol because it's immediate relief or now also medical marijuana is also yeah. actually a big competitor to physiotherapists because it gives immediate relief.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: But it is really only that uh, you're just, you're uh, sorry.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's going, going tying into medical marijuana, right? What yeah. are your thoughts on it being used as an anti-inflammatory, right? people taking <laughs> CBD, CBD creams even, right? What are your thoughts on that?
1: So I'm not aware of any research that really supports or negates it, but I'm also not, mm-hmm. I would say, not really up to date on the research around it. And there isn't that much right now, right? I certainly see patients who use it. Uh, we're not, I'm not uh, licensed to give advice about it. But my, my general personal thought about it is if it, if it helps relieve some symptoms, particularly those who have persistent pain, chronic pain, and it helps them increase what they can do during the day and manage more, and there's no, we're not aware of any uh, negative long-term side effects, mm-hmm. then I don't see what the issue is. Um, the same for other things, There are res- there's re- more research around things like Advil and Tylenol and you know, the recommended doses and for how long, but essentially, if something is helping it in the short term at least, or helping us do more activity so that in the long term we can improve. improve then uh, something like medical marijuana, I don't, I uh, don't have a problem with. Yeah. I think it can be quite helpful for people.
0: Awesome. Yeah, not backed no, by
1: research, yeah, though.
0: <laughs> not backed by research. Fair enough. Good disclaimer. Um, I mean, on, on that topic, like, uh, like one of the things I like, like, I appreciate a lot about the sciences is that how a lot of Thought and things that we take for granted now have been hard won by the, the science industry, right? Whereas, like, something like physiotherapy and chiropractors, like, those industries were won by having to influence people that this is, a, this is a treatment for your illness. Uh, I mean, starting from the 50s and 60s, when this became more of a thing, it was seen as an Eastern, uh, like, a, like a foreign kind of thinking, where before people were like, yes, give me a pill. If I need something, I go to my doctor, and that's it, that's it right? The idea of like this forethought of like the body is going to be maintained was something that had to be won over in people's minds within the, within the within the industry uh do you still feel that there's still a fight to be won there where a lot of people are still looking for shortcuts and easy way outs and don't look for more holistic ways of maintaining themselves and managing themselves
1: yeah absolutely there's still a lot of work to do in this area and a lot of educating to do around the power of preventative care but I think there has been a shift, like certainly uh, there's been a shift in consumers, right? Like we can even just see it in the expansion of businesses that exist, right? Ten years ago, I don't think I ever saw like a green juice in the grocery store or yoga wasn't really that popular or trendy. Um, acupuncture was kind of seen as an Eastern solution and not necessarily a western wellness solution so i think there's definitely been a, tr- a trend towards uh, personal wellness and taking care of our own health before we have uh, a problem right so uh health care not sick care is that idea um yeah which is fantastic. I think that there's still a lot to be done. And particularly from a physio standpoint, we have a lot to work, of work to do in terms of our own branding as a profession and how we can help people not only when they're injured, but also to help prevent injury. And you know, this is a conversation I have with my patients. Uh, once they're better and back to what they want to do and not necessarily having any pain, the suggestion that we should have a Annual check in just like you do with your doctor or just like when you go to the dentist is a hard sell still because it's not it's not the norm but i really do think that everyone should have their health and wellness professional um i think physios are perfectly suited for that role potentially covered through uh um our public health care system well insurance or public health care system because we know that if we can help people prevent, just like with our teeth, it's the same thing. If you can help people prevent serious conditions, then you're so much better off and it's actually cheaper on the healthcare system.
0: Yeah, preventive care has been shown, like, you know, it reduces strain in the system. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's, let's talk a little bit about the future of this, right? Um, actually, even before that, can you talk a little bit about your personal history? Like how, what got you into this field? Um, what was your journey like?
1: Physio or tech?
0: <laughs> Physi- ther- Physiotherapy and then tech, and what you're doing right now, right? Like, um, how did you get into the space and then transition over into you're doing uh,
1: uh, yeah. right now? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so I did my undergrad at Ottawa U in kinesiology, like a lot of physios okay. do, and I didn't really know what I wanted to be when I grew when I grew up. I still don't really know what I want to be mm-hmm. when I grow up, but uh, mm-hmm. I was playing water polo uh, on the team at uh, Ottawa U and injured my shoulder, ended up in physio, was interested in the profession, and thankfully it was in my second year that this happened, so I had the opportunity to, then I actually got a job in the sports medicine clinic, and then I shadowed a physio who was working at a school with kids who had disabilities, which I didn't even know was a role physios had, and decided to apply into physio at the end of my fourth year. Thankfully I got in, and uh, like I had said, I worked when I graduated from physio, I did my master's at McMaster University. Uh, I did kind of the typical physio thing, which is to work in private clinics. And I worked at five in five years and then started Embodia. I didn't even know what a tech startup was though. I'm not particularly tech savvy. And when I started Embodia, it was really for my patients. That's why I started it. I, um, I thankfully had somebody who knows there, how
0: to code. Was not a struggle at all? Yeah, there we go. Right.
1: I'm not the coder. Oh my gosh. <laughs> my business partner. Yeah. My business partner is the CTO.
0: Yeah. Okay. And he's the one who like encoded the system and all that. What was that, what was that like when you, from the moment like, hey, I, I want to build this tool or this use case, right, using technology to actually getting it launched, right? Like how, how did you transition there from like, you know, healthcare background to a tech a knowledge base? How did you acquire that? those skills or that knowledge base? You got it wasn't,
1: know. it wasn't graceful. Let's say. It was yeah. difficult. <laughs> yep. um, it was all trial and error. I had like a huge learning curve. I didn't know what I was getting myself into and actually I showed up to a TechTO event which somebody somewhere had told me about. So I showed up to a TechTO event mm-hmm. and one of the booths was the DMZ, the Digital Media Zone and uh-huh told them what we were building. We like just had a beta, hadn't really launched, you know, my mom and my sister were using it basically. And uh, DMZ said, you know, you should apply and come join us in this incubator. So that night I learned Mm -hmm. two words, tech startup and incubator. And we did apply into the DMZ. And I'd say from then we applied in 2015 and we were there until I think end of 2017, I just, you know, it was like basically going back to school, except with a hundred percent real life experience, just trying to figure out how to build a tech business or a tech startup.
0: Nice. And you also got involved with TechTO and uh, now you're doing a lot of marketing and communication work for them, right? Can you talk a little about that?
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. So I was impressed with their event and my, mind was blown by this idea that there is all of these people in technology, you know, like hundreds of people showing up every month to have pizza and beer and hang out, network, and listen to speakers. That's just not the way that conferences for physios run. So it was like, (laughs) no, we're a little bit drier, let's say. Uh, Although we're changing now. We're evolving as a profession, which is exciting. And so I asked uh, the DMZ if we could host a health-focused event that was like TechTO. I talked to Alex and Jason at TechTO, and they're like, yeah, go for it. This was before they had all the TO events, so they only had TechTO. I started uh, what was called HealthTO, and then quickly realized how much work it takes to run an event. Uh, Alex and Jason agreed to kind of helped take over the event within the TechTO community. And the timing was just right. It was one of those moments where the timing was perfect. I had about a hundred people who were showing up to my events and I didn't want to run them anymore, like the logistics and marketing side of it. So, and TechTO was at the point where they were deciding to branch out to have different verticals and the first two verticals that they wanted to launch were health and sales. So they asked if I would be the community director for their health protocol, and uh, I still am. So now we run our events, obviously, uh, under the TechTO brand, they're called TechTO Health. And normally we would have a uh, health focused event every other month, but now they're all online for the moment.
0: Yeah. Yeah, how's that transition been to online? Um, I've seen, like, TechTO was one of the first to like come out with like an online, like, present in lockdown, right? Like, like actually locked and loaded using like a new new software tool, uh, Hopson, I think. Uh, Hop in. How's that transition been yeah. for Hop in. There you yep.
1: Go. They, uh, well, they're like a tech startup. They move fast. Yeah. So they, yeah. they were able, able to shift. Help? Yeah.
0: Yeah. And you're still involved with the, with the virtual?
1: Yep, exactly. So what we've switched to are daily events and the health events are every Thursday from 12 to one. So I organize those Uh, It's more obviously than usual, but they're they're maybe a little bit easier to organize. There's less involved, but 12 to one every Thursday, I host a panel and we have a conversation about a different topic. So for example, this week it's investing during COVID. Uh, Next week it's uh, transitioning or managing care at home, which is going to be a huge Mm -hmm. topic in healthcare, particularly post COVID. And we have a different set of panelists. So they're, they're a great uh, conversation, a good time. And we will host our bigger bigger uh, events like we normally do in the evenings. And I think the next one for health at least is in June where it's like a much bigger event. We'll have formal presentations.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I've been to a lot of tech TO events. I've been to a few of the health ones, uh, but do sales TO, marketing TO, just check it out. I'm a huge fan. Um, like. Being, doing what we do, we do we do uh, tech sales for startups. This is where we find our clientele, our events like yourselves, where you bring together this host of activity to bring to the parts of the community. And I you mean, know, kudos to you guys really, honestly, to build, to bring the community together and be a pillar of it. Um, the TechTO, like, events has such a, uh, such, a sta- such a staple in the tech scene within Toronto. And it's really because it started so early and really gravitated to a particular crowd. And it was built so organically, organically grown. Um, and, and thank you for your part in growing that brand and identity really out there. Because it, it's so important to build this community to, together, especially during this time where everyone is so far apart, right? But you're going to bring them together uh, virtually. Like we're empowered through this technology, right? Like we're, we're now, we can make more connections now than ever. And the, the fact that you're doing uh, more events more frequently and, and giving more people a space to speak about what they're up to, what they're doing is phenomenal and the amount of people who i'm talking to were like you know i just checked out a tech event like you know i, I want to start, try to start up you know i, I listen to the story and you know i kind of i kind of i kind of i kind of get it I, kinda, I can see myself transitioning there it's great to hear um so 100 percent like you know tactio and what you guys are doing there is is great for the community and kudos to you guys for continuing onwards but um how's that how is it between How do you manage between that side of things, you know, servicing the community and doing these kind of events with running a startup and then you no longer do the physiotherapy side, but uh, being a founder,
1: right? You do. Yep. Okay. Yep. So Uh, I do, I see some patients. (laughs) I don't see a lot of patients, but I do uh, see some patients and I have uh, some others that work with me that manage the caseload.
0: So one of the frequent topics that came up in our podcast is idea of burnout. I'm doing too much and burning out. Um, running a startup itself is super hard. But when you're doing that, doing these communication events and, and also servicing um, your clients on the service side, that must re- require a lot of jigsaw puzzling your time slots and freaking things out. How do you maintain yourself? How do you stay focused?
1: Mm-hmm. I'd it's, say it's, it's never like, there's never a great balance. But I, I heard uh, I'm going to butcher this analogy. So I'm just going to try to summarize it, but the analogy or the explanation that I like the most about trying to do many things is first of all, making sure that you enjoy doing all of those things and that you're passionate about them, but then also realizing or coming to the understanding that, uh, you know, when your life is full, it's never going to be this like perfect balance of things. And sometimes there's going to be more time over here, whether it's like family or friends, and more time spent on another business. And this is certainly true in my case. So uh, I have days where it's all in Badia all the time. And then I have other days where there's a lot more Techio health and things like that. And other, I also have just become okay that not everything gets done in the day mm-hmm. and I schedule everything. So I use my calendar yeah. to make sure that things are scheduled in, not just meetings, but on also the things that I'm working on, so the projects that I'm working on. And I'd say the last thing is having a great team. So I'm so fortunate that uh, the TechTO team is amazing and we all have our well-defined roles. So I know that if somebody sends me a request, I can pass it off to somebody else. And I just have a few things that I need to take care of. On the Embodia side, uh, you know, we've definitely made hiring mistakes, but at the moment, thankfully, we have like a very, very solid team that I can lean on and who, um, you know, also have defined roles. So uh, it's a combination of those things, I think that's keeping me sane.
0: Yeah, that's a a great learning curve uh, for anybody. Um, So with Embodia, let's talk a little bit about that and uh, the transition you're going through. So you guys started as like this collection of videos for um, clients of physiotherapists to learn more about, sorry, to have a better touch point of how to take care of yourself after the therapist therapist, therapy visits. That's homework, as you put it. Right, that uh, you that they send off with. So I guess you're, you're currently transitioning to more of a virtual care care system. Right?
1: Uh, we provide lots of different services. So we still have the patient engagement or home exercise uh, prescription software. So that's still something we offer and it's actually a great um, It's a, it really complements virtual sessions. Right. So you can provide your patients so much more value if you see them virtually like this. <laughs> we would chat, we'd do an assessment, I'd give you some suggestions to go away with and think about some things to do. And then I'd follow up with this really slick way for you to follow them with videos, you track it, and I can see it as a practitioner. I can see if what you're doing, if you're putting in notes, uh, if you're struggling somewhere. So there's this great two-way communication between sessions, not just during, during the session. And then we also provide online continuing education. So healthcare practitioners traditionally take uh, weekend courses, which means they have to take their weekend to go and take a course or sometimes time off work that they may not be getting paid for and may have to travel. So all these things are challenging. There's still a lot of value for sure in in in-person conferences and courses, but having an alternative, which is online, is what we provide. So practitioners can take courses online, receive their certifications, and uh do it all on their own time and schedule
0: great uh and that's uh, i mean right now during this time i mean that's that's so that's so important right how has that uh, been in the market like how has the response been back from uh, the end users
1: amazing yeah overall like everything on Embodia has grown exponentially during covid and it it's um, you know, when it's when the pandemic started, we honestly didn't know what was going to happen because people are on tighter budgets, so there's less money to spend. So maybe they're not going to buy online courses, for example, or maybe they just choose to shut down their businesses altogether rather than offering virtual sessions. We know that some practices have done that, but there's just been an overwhelming demand for online courses, digital patient engagement, ability to provide virtual sessions. So we've been... Uh, working more than full time.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I can imagine. What's, how was your transition between uh, pre-COVID to current COVID situation during lockdown? Um, How did it affect you, you, your business, everything that's going on?
1: Yeah, so for Embodia it was, um, we're lucky in that it was a positive transition for our business. We've just grown exponentially. And uh, we've also had to learn, of course, how to manage such an increased demand on our our, more of our time, like customer support tickets, (laughs) just like through the roof. But we've hired two customer support team members. Uh, We just hired somebody else as well. So we've been hiring. And then, of course, having to take time for training and to hopefully like it was a bit of a fingers crossed, hopefully we hired well. definitely made the mistake of not hiring well in the past and that's uh, it's Mm -hmm. a difficult lesson to learn you don't want to make it again but so far so good and otherwise um a lot of i'd say the majority of my time is spent working right now and then just trying to remember to take my own advice and do some yoga and go for some walks so i don't get stiff and sore
0: Mm -hmm. yeah um i mean talking about um, growing pains and growth can you talk about like a um, a particular pain point that you experienced when, during this process of, uh, scaling your company?
1: The biggest pain point has honestly been the customer service side of things. So how can we manage, um, you know, thousands of practitioners signing up and receiving hundreds of emails an hour with like still, high quality customer support. Because it's one of the things that we've always offered is very personal and quick customer support. Mm-hmm. And how can we possibly do that? Well, I'm still managing the other parts of the business, which include marketing, instructor relations, business development. And my business partner is the CTO. So he has to manage all of the development on the platform. So the first couple of weeks were a bit rough in figuring that out. And then also like that bringing somebody on and training them to learn how to use the platform and like like i had mentioned we have multiple things that we offer so there's lots of ways the platform's used so the learning curve for these customer support people is really steep and uh, you know talking about burnout we don't want to stress them out or burn them out but they're also seeing like large volumes of customer support tickets and like you know, getting a bit anxious about answering them fast enough or making sure they answer them correctly. So it's been a a learning process, but one of the things we're gonna do afterwards is actually just put together internal documentation. uh, We have other team members, but they've been with us for longer. We've never hired a customer support person. So yeah, one of the things we're taking away is have some really good documentation for onboarding in every part of our business. We had it in some parts, but not all parts, which, uh, slowed mm-hmm. us down for a week or two.
0: Yeah. Um, absolutely. Like, how has it been like hiring and onboarding people during this, during this time? Like, you know, meeting people face to face, right? Nope. What have do you doing with that? Yeah.
1: It's been through referral actually. So mm-hmm. one of the people I hired, I went to school with, and she is a physiotherapist. Mm-hmm. So she already knew the industry, which was key, I think. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, she understands the pain points of healthcare practitioners, and she can usually like understand what they're trying to ask, because she usually has the same question about how to use our platform. (laughs) So that I think was uh, a wise choice. But then there was just like a lot of learning on her end of like how like the intricacies of how things work. Um, And other both the other hires we made were also through referrals So somebody referred them to us and said they highly recommended they have been let go of the job and we're looking would prefer to work rather than being on ei or serve
0: yeah and like so one of the cool things now is like the use of SaaS tools right the, the tools that companies use to run themselves um, it, it's such a it's such a like a fractional purpose uh, environment where like marketing team will have a whole bunch of SaaS tools sales team will have a bunch of SaaS tools they implement it's almost like every employee has like tied them like a few hundred dollars worth of SaaS tools that you need to empower themselves and, and run on. Um, and like it's it's weird because it's almost like infrastructure. Like was said before, you would need to you know give someone a computer, give someone a, a space to work out of. Now you're giving them these tools to run different departments and different people in them. Right? How is your how has it been for you guys to like choose the right tool or do you empower each of, each of your person with you a tool? Like how do you guys source uh, the right tools to use within uh, the company that you grow?
1: Yeah, that's a good question, which I've never really thought about it that way. But I think yeah. it's certainly going to become true as we go forwards and workspaces yeah. change. Uh, we had a lot of our tools in place already. So we mm-hmm. already had our systems, the way that we worked, a lot of it was there. Um, like, for example, we use HubSpot for marketing and sales. We use uh, SEM rush for SEO, like on our marketing side. We use Trello for project management and Slack like a lot of companies do for messaging. Um, generally we had. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. <No>. Sorry, <laughs> I was like, I don't to... have a doorbell. <laughs>
0: Sorry about that. That's okay. <laughs> yeah, my sister-in-law just dropped off some food. Little care package.
1: Oh, that's nice. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um. Yeah. The cool thing is, like, uh, this has brought like family and friends a lot closer. Everyone's a little bit taken care of ourselves. Like my mother-in-law and sister-in-law, they we we always like share food amongst each other, right? Um. I moved in my parents and my sister-in-law sister in as well, so it's like we have a huge family bonding moment. But even though quarantine's going on, like it's actually bringing us to closer together.
1: That's amazing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, where were we? We were talking about uh, um, tools. Resourcing. Yeah, yeah. Resourcing the team, right? Um, yeah. Kind of found like running this company remotely and virtually.
1: Half of our team was remote already, so we were already pretty well set up for it. Um. Okay. So it wasn't a huge transition. We just had to adjust a few things like i'd say tweaks not massive changes and then in terms of tools we do we've had some of our team members with us for years and so they usually bring suggestions of like i think this would be useful and we encourage them to do that if you can think of a better way for us to do this for example we have a video editing manager who you know he does a lot of editing so obviously he knows that far better than we do. So he might suggest things to us, uh, even like this is a great stock video site, or this is a better way we can store content. And same on our digital side, people running our social media and digital marketing, they are likely gonna know the better tools and what would be most useful. So we just ask them for suggestions. And then, you know, we probably like a lot of teams, we have short and regular uh, meetings, during the week. And then otherwise we use Slack and Trello to communicate. And uh, I think the biggest thing is that we trust our team. Right? They're, they are remote, so I don't, I don't necessarily know what they're doing, but they have timelines and mm-hmm. um, we work as a team and I, I do trust 100% all of them.
0: Yeah, it's great to hear. So having come from the DMZ, I mean, we got, your, got connected through the DMZ. When uh, they, uh, you know, they connected us to literally together. Uh, how has working with a DMZ and the continual support been after you left the program?
1: Yeah, so they do have a. Um, oh my gosh, the word is escaping me. Like a graduates um, or alumni. There we go, an alumni uh, yeah, program. Program. Yeah. So they. I've been back. Um, pre-COVID, obviously, and uh, they do run still events. They keep in touch, which is great. They provide resources. They made this connection. So I still feel like they, you know, they have us in their docket of, or their community, which is fantastic. And it's always great to be a part of a community like that with uh, so many amazing leaders and tech entrepreneurs and as well as people who have uh, resources or who know your company. And when they see an opportunity, they might think of you. So entrepreneurship can be very lonely and it's uh, yeah. part of the important part or part of what's important is to be a part of a community like the DMZ. Yeah,
0: I mean, having a community around yourself is so important, uh, especially when you deal with the ups and downs of, of the newness of entrepreneurship, right? Um, is this your first venture? Like having your own clinic is kind of a venture, but as, as a tech startup, it's a, it's a different beast. Uh, have you had any entrepreneurial dri- drives going up? Like how's how's that
1: been? Uh, yeah. So my physio practice was my first venture out onto my own. Uh, but it wasn't, it never felt like that big of a leap. Yeah. Like there was some things that I needed to learn, but it's Mm -hmm. not that much different. I was already technically self-employed working for clinics. I was contracted to clinics. Um, I've never actually been an employee in my entire life. And Mm -hmm. so that this, sole proprietor having you know a small practice didn't feel all that different but certainly a tech startup was more than i had bargained for and it's far different yeah so again the learning curve was huge um and then tech health is uh like a, a side project but again it's with a with a team so it's not not really my venture it's just more of a collective or a collaborative venture
0: perfect so you fall into um, with in, in Cambodia, Cambodia uh, You fall into this bucket of companies who, whose markets are doing are exploding right now, post COVID. Right? We hear now a lot of news about companies who are struggling, who whose uh, businesses are frozen, who's kind of waiting to see where things lie and it's kind of like on pause mode. Um, but you've about twenty percent of companies right now, essentially internet-based technology companies. Um, their markets have opened up like never before, right? Where like clearly your, your clients would now need more than ever to have more virtual tools to operate and deal with the clients. How has that landscape been for you? Are you seeing more competitors come up? How are you driving forward growth? How are you, how, like, how are you, I guess even dealing with the idea of knowing that there's so much out there that you have to go and chase, to face? It's a mental game as well, right? How are you positioning yourself in this environment?
1: Yeah. So the biggest thing for us has always been, and you know, this comes back to like passion and why, you know, the advice to every entrepreneur is to have a strong why otherwise you're just mm-hmm. going to get fed up and tired and give up. And mm-hmm. our why has always been to ultimately service patients, right? People need good healthcare information and they need the support. The only evidence that exists for all rehab care, so like physio and Cairo is that exercise, so movement-based, education and a supportive environment is what helps people get better. All the other stuff, like the manual therapy, the like special hands-on stuff, there might be some research for it, but it's not really that strong. So we know that if we can better empower patients to be an active part of their rehab, there are chances of getting better and not just getting better, but maybe even improving and, Um, going back to what they enjoy doing or doing things that they didn't think they'd ever be able to go back to significantly improves. So like, first and foremost, that's what we keep in mind every single day when we're running any part of our business is like, ultimately we are here for the end user, for the patients who are going to be using Embodia, and for the practitioners who are empowering them. So everything that we do is based around that. There's certainly times when things get like, muddy or stressful, and we just have to keep coming back to that point of why we exist as Embodia. We also uh, have learned that not every clinic or not every practitioner is the right fit for Embodia. So I've done, you know, I've spent lots of time even speaking with clinics or practitioners and ultimately telling them, I think that you better actually work with our competitor. That is the better fit. Because we don't want people working with us or that that aren't the right fit. That's not good for anybody. Um, so you know we've really learned who our uh, ideal customer is, and we we put out content, which is lots of free content, and yeah. um, everything that speaks to them, and that's it. We're just trying to be supportive, particularly through this time. Also keeping in mind that the majority of our our community are in that position of uh, unsure about what their business is going to do, right? Because they've had to close their physical doors. So their business is at risk and they are extremely stressed. So most of what we've done, have done through COVID and going forwards, of course, will be t- to be there to support them and to give them the resources that they need as well.
0: Yeah, um, that's great. Well, I want to take some, I want to take some time to also ask us if you like even the future, hopefully. Um, and seeing your mind and seeing where um, your, your things are pushing towards more things where things are more virtual. Sorry. One sec. Um, yeah. Some things more virtual uh, What's what's like the next evolution, I guess, in, in the industry um, in the case of utilizing tech, right? Um, and I, I guess a case example of that is like, so I'm talking a lot about uh, like primary care physicians and how they use technology. And uh, now that virtual care has become a thing where like physicians and physicians have to use virtual care systems themselves to to the patients, one of the things they are struggling with is like, how do I diagnose my patients when I'm dealing with them virtually? Right? So if I ask you if you have a fever, like, what do you say? Oh, I, I, yes, I feel hot. Well, how hot do you feel? What is your temperature? If I have a thermometer, right, like you can't measure that and you can't get that either. So there are some startups kind of starting up that are kind of give like packages, like home, like, like uh, reading packages, or like a set of tools that you can have in your home that can diagnose you. So when talking to a physician, you can actually have like your own setup at either home or even like there's other startups thinking like you know, what if you have a nurse's office where you can come and get get all your physicals done and then communicate that to your thing. But now companies are thinking everyone has like smartwatches and these analytics tools built in. Why can't we use that to have better, better, better interfaces with their family doctors and stuff like that, right? Is there anything like that, like where IoT devices or like these wearables are being utilized in your industry?
1: Not extensively. So I do think that's going to not be no, yeah. not yet. I think it's going to be part of the future of the story of our profession is uh, mm-hmm. integration of technology, whether it's IoT or AI or VR. Um, or just simple uh, digital healthcare, right? There's simple things that we just really have not integrated well into healthcare, and it's being accelerated drastically at the moment. So I think part of the future for at least physio and rehab is a meaningful integration with technology as a broad subset, and um, as well as a move towards hybrid care, meaning some care is better done in person. There's no doubt about it. Um, but there's probably, there are a lot of patients, again, this is not backed by research yet, but there are likely a large set of people who would do very well with an in person assessment and then all follow ups done virtually.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and like, that's what I'm excited to see. It's like the next version of healthcare, right? Like, there was this one, this one like research that really blew my mind is like, like, uh, with, anyway, with physicians, primary care physicians, it's like almost a third of family doctors' diagnoses are wrong, right? Which is mind-boggling to think about. And then in, recently in China, there was a diagnosis, diagnostic um, AI that they built up that they trained and ran it against about 500 medical professionals to see, you know, who's gonna be, who's more uh, accurate in their diagnosis. So 500 of the top doctors versus this algorithm, the algorithm one, and it kind of points to a sh- drastic shift in the way we kind of diagnose and we- the way we're going to be thinking about healthcare in the future. Right. The way applications will really be run. And uh, so people are already thinking it's like, well, why do I need, why do we need, you know, to pay hundreds of thousand dollars to these physicians on our healthcare system when we can have, you know, s- uh, nurses working for 60,000, 80,000, 100,000 within a clinic and all they're running is interfacing p- patients to a system that can diagnose them drastically, right? So that's like a drastic or radical change when it comes to primary care. Is there anything like that being discussed in, in, the, in, in the physiotherapy world where like parts of it could be automated away in a drastic fashion? Uh,
1: beginnings of conversations, let's say. I've included that in a talk that I did in 2018 and 2019 to um, okay. part of our profession. I don't know how well it was received. I was talking mostly theoretically, and I was just looking on my desk. I keep a few books on my desk, and one of them is called Deep Medicine. Have you heard of that by Dr. Eric Topol? And something that he says in it, so it's a lot about AI, the use of artificial intelligence in medicine and how it can essentially help us put the care back into healthcare. Because if we can use artificial intelligence to do the things that it could do well, such as diagnosing and maybe prognosing, then we as practitioners can actually spend a whole lot more time with the patient doing things that we as humans can do well, which are things like empathy, motivational interviewing, communication, support that an AI is not gonna be able to provide, and a lot more of the art of healthcare rather than the science of healthcare. The sense that I got when I discussed this in my presentations to physiotherapists was this idea that a lot of healthcare practitioners feel, which is the robots are going to take over our jobs. Mm -hmm. We saw this in radiology two years ago, I think last year, um, where yep, machines can actually do this better and faster and cheaper. So we're kind of out of a job, which is not what we should be doing in healthcare it should be a modifying of jobs in collaboration with technology. So I'm optimistic for the future that that's what's gonna happen. Uh, But we obviously need to do this uh, intelligently. And one of the keys with policy, as well as technology in healthcare, is that the healthcare practitioner's voice is at the table.
0: Yeah, I mean, one of the things I'm excited about with this lockdown and the shaking, how shaking the industry and healthcare industry in general, the healthcare industry is like built on these legacy systems, like archaic old legacy systems, right? I mean, four, was four years ago, the biggest trend was EMR systems, EMR integration. How do we get electronic, um, uh, electronic medical records to communicate with each other? Whereas one machine will you know, produce something in a certain language, which another machine cannot read. And then they can't even have like a system to even store that file. Uh, whereas, <coughs> sorry. <laughs> uh <laughs> the, the working from home working from home life <laughs> but uh yeah so going back to that right so the, the idea that parts of things can be automated away but run more efficiently because i'm <gasps> opening up new lines of doing doing healthcare i i my hope is that th- this this whole category of this shift of COVID-19 and working from home and like the the, the global stressors they put on kind of shattered the framework that the healthcare system was working on and hopefully radically shift and rapid <laughs> modernization and the, an example put forward is like you know the, the <laughs> spanish flu and the, and the great depression that followed afterwards right the third industrial wave revolution third industrial re- revolution the third wave of industrialization happened right after that where the world was like shaken up to the great depression and because of um, the, because of Spanish flu before that, and the World Wars, all these all this turmoil mixed in together with a new, a new process of ways of doing things just rapidly changed how the world was. And I feel strongly, and a lot of people agree, that we're at the cross of the fourth industrial revolution, the machine intelligence, the machine age, right, where these deep algorithms and more similar um, tools can come into effect. And that's what's, what's starting right now. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how the medical industry changes and utilizes more technology and how uh, we can become better for it because of
1: it. Yep, absolutely. The analogy I had heard was the etch board has been shaken or the Monopoly board has been shaken. Talking more about business, of course. But yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree with you.
0: Yeah, perfect. Well, um, Maggie, it's been about an hour. (laughs) We're going to wrap up this episode. Uh, It's been a great conversation. Uh, Looking forward to hearing more about Rodia and your success. Uh, But we'll keep in touch. But uh, for now, thank you and take care. Thank you so much.